Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of The Law and Finance Show, and today I have a great guest on. Now, many of you already know that my business is bookkeeping and CFO services, and one of the things that you learned about me is I love bringing on other guests on the show who have a similar business because what I realize is finding the right finance partner for your business, it's it is a little bit of an art sometimes. And sometimes, you know what, you got to get to know a couple of people before you find the one that is the best fit for you. So someone that I've heard a lot of great things about from so many different lawyers and so many different coaches. And so I wanted to invite her on to the show today to talk about her business and the way that she is helping her clients solve some very critical problems in their business. So stay tuned for today's episode. So without further ado, let me bring on my highly esteemed guest, Chelsea. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Chelsea, I have been hearing a lot of great things about you from many of the the mutual connections that we have, and they have talked great things about you. And so I know a little bit more about you, but can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? Yeah. Yeah. So we do really the same thing. And I can really appreciate your abundance mindset because I 1000% agree. And I have even on my website, I'm like, hey, if we're not a good fit, you should go check out so and so and so and so, because that is so important. And I think it's even more important to realize when you find a good fit, if you have to pass over a few different people, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with either side. It means that you have to have that energy. You have to have that professional connection to where you're actually going to listen and take the advice of somebody, you know? So I love that about you. Um, And I'm really happy to be here. So my journey to being this like money whisperer for law firms is what I kind of say sometimes is like 12 years in the making. And I was in the traditional tax and accounting space for about four years. Uh, I was a VP at a firm here where I live. And I say that's where I learned kind of everything that I didn't want to do in my own business. It was a great example of all the things and the ways that I did not particularly care to be. And so I learned a lot of really valuable lessons. Um, But one of my biggest takeaways and one of my biggest drivers right now is really educating people on financial literacy, on business money, on how to do the things, because schools are only now starting to teach our kids. And so, you know, letting people know it's okay if you don't understand how to budget or what a KPI is and how to use it, because we're going to we're going to learn together. Nice, nice. I love it. And, you know, that's one of those things that I have often have conversations with some of my, you know, friends about is, and and for them, it, I may sound biased, but I'm like, you know, we spend so much time like learning about some so many other topics, but money is one of those things that affects everybody at every stage of your life. I mean, some stages more than others, like, you know, as a, you know, from teenage years and younger, money isn't as big of a personal, resp- I mean, as big of your responsibility, but as you get older, it becomes more and more important. But very few people actually take time to learn about it. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things like as a parent, we're all doing the best we can. I'm a parent. I have two kids. I have my mom's shirt on today. <laughs> and it's like, you know, the schools aren't teaching it. We weren't taught. A lot of parents weren't taught. So they're not teaching it to their kids. But the thing is, you're right. It's right up there with like taxes and death, right? Like you have to understand at least how to make and spend and somewhat keep money in order to function as a human. And while we weren't necessarily equipped with the knowledge to be able to do that, we still got a credit card, you know, application in the mail. So <laughs> we're still being given the other side of it. Right. So it's very interesting. Yeah. It's what it was like my wife and I were laughing the other day. Cause um, some, uh, I think we got it. We had, I guess our credit card expired. So they sent us new credit cards. And as I was opening the paper, I looked at it and I was like, there's like a $39,000 credit limit on this. I was like, I didn't ask for this to go up, but it's just like, you see those type of things that happen to where, like, if you're not smart about it, you just see more and more people, more and more money being thrown at you. Like this comes with a price. Like had I, if I had not been educated about how to handle this, this would be a serious problem. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I think, and you bring up a good topic. I think it's important for people to understand you have options, right? You don't have to take the first credit card offer and credit limit that comes through the mail. You know, like there are a lot of different options nowadays to get to where you're going and there's, it's not one size fits all. I love it. I love it. And, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, I'm curious about is like, as you kind of navigated through, you know, as, as a VP and you were looking at, you know, the different scenarios, were you surprised to learn or to realize like how many people that were working in the technical side of the business, but didn't really understand the financials of the business? Was that surprising to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what drove me because, you know, at my previous position, what I learned is that let's just be honest, most people that do what you and I do are living in a reactive state they're not proactively providing data and information to clients for whatever reason. There's a few different reasons to really educate them on, okay, here's an income statement. How the heck do I make business decisions based <laughs> off that? What is this telling me right now? You know what I mean? And so when I got into, I, I chose the legal space um, very intentionally. I did my research. I, I weighed my options because everybody has options, right? And I chose it with a lot of intent. And one of the things that I've realized throughout my career is, yes, a lot of pe a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand money, but particularly with attorneys, they carry more shame in not understanding their money and coming forward and asking somebody like you and me for help than others because they carry this title. They are looked up to because, you know, in school, what is it? You know, like it's policeman, firefighter, attorney, you know, you know, like it's this very highly esteemed position. And so they kind of feel like I have a lot of financial baggage and people expect more of me. I'm terrified to ask for help. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've definitely found that as well of, of just, you know, that really having to start from like the very beginning of telling people like, Hey, whatever you do know, or whatever you think you don't know, it's like, there's I always have to lower it. Like, this is a judgment free zone um, because what I find, and, and I think that's one of those things like you and I talked before about like, you know, how important it is for people to find that good match. Because one of the things that I've seen is that if you don't really get along with the person, you're not going to be honest and tell them what's really going on. So they're not going to be able to help you. So one of the things I'm curious is as you kind of work with, you know, your clients, how have you seen, 
kind of like people really get comfortable and open up to be honest with you so you can really help them the best way possible? You know, in the attorney space, it's very interesting because historically, and when I first got here, other people who worked with attorneys, most of them used to be attorneys. And then they started a business that serves attorneys. And they're like, attorneys are only going to listen to you and respect you if they know you're going to boldly call them out. But we live in a day and age where there is so much enlightenment that's coming into the space um, that wasn't there before, that that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. So you know, I think the most important thing is to know yourself and how you best respond to people and interactions, because there are different methods to motivating people, to getting them to take action. And the same method that works for one person doesn't work for the other, which is why, you know, for clients, it's important that you understand what type of a professional is going to get you to move and take action. And as the professional, it's important for people like you and me to understand how are we most effective? What is our kind of strategy to getting our clients to take action? And also, how do we screen prospects to make sure that they have that personality type, that they're actually going to receive our guidance in a way that it motivates them positively? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, so when you think about, you know, people are, are start to work with your firm. Kind of how does that process usually work? Like, how do they usually go about like getting in touch with you guys? And what does that the start of that relationship look like? So I appreciate working with highly motivated law firm owners that see the value in what we do prior to working with us. So I, I kind of make people work for it a little bit before I ever get on the phone with them, because, look, I'm not going to. I'm not here to waste anybody's time or money. I'm here to get to business. And and even on my website, it says, if you're looking for cheap, go to bench.com and go check out QuickBooks Bookkeeping Services, but also realize don't expect as much because you get what you pay for, right? Um, And so I have a fine-tuned intake form that I continue to work on, but it's very intentional and it asks all the questions so that when I get on the phone with somebody, I already know what I'm going to recommend to them. And it asks very specific questions that tell me how proactive are you? What are you looking for? And how motivated and open are you to learning? Because like, you know, sometimes people uh, work with bookkeepers and they kind of want to just, hey, here's access to everything. Don't ask me any questions. I don't really want to be involved. And that's not us. That's not, you know, that's not our zone of expertise. So I do have a filtered process before I ever get on the the phone and speak with somebody. But when I get to that point, I know exactly where we can meet together. Right. And my thing with people lately, even when I go on platforms like this and I speak, I think there's a big misunderstanding or gap in understanding in how to work with people like us and, and realize that there you have a financial team. It's not just one person you have, you know, your bookkeeper or accountant, your tax preparer, your CFO, um, your financial advisor, your banker. And I think a lot of people are asking CFO questions of their bookkeeper. And then they're frustrated that they're not getting a CFO advisory session, but it's only because they don't know and understand what to expect and also what they still need to be accountable for as the business owner, which in most cases, they're the CFO, right? Um, And so that's kind of been my... 
my point of interest lately is making sure that when I'm talking to somebody, I'm setting the stage and being realistic and expectations, what to expect and what I'm going to hold you accountable for still, because we don't get to just dump it and walk away, Mm -hmm. you know? Gotcha. You know, and you bring up a really good point because, you know, something that I think um, even myself, I've learned a bit more is really trying to help, you know, draw the lines of distinction between what is bookkeeping what is CFO services? I mean, even within CFO services, there is some variety. Um, and so can you tell me, like, what's your perspective on how do you start to, you know, at a high level, draw the different or explain the difference between, hey, these are t- the type of things that fall under bookkeeping. These are the type of things that fall under CFO services. Yeah. So to me, the line in the sand is the monthly financials. Your bookkeeper and or accountant, because sometimes that can be the same person, is the one who does all of the things. You and me know there's a long list that people don't know about because it happens behind the scenes. But just trust us. There's a lot that goes into creating monthly financials, (laughs) meaningful financials, because not all financials are made equal. (laughs) And so to me, your bookkeeper or accountant gives you those monthly financials. But now it's your job or your CFO's job to put that CFO hat on and say, okay, Here's my monthly financials. What is it telling me? And how do I make decisions based off of this data in the financials? And what other data do I need to take into consideration that plug into my my numbers, my money data? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Now, for your firm, um, what are the types of services that you provide to your or the types of solutions you provide to your clients? So we fill, I mentioned the, the the key financial players, right? So you have your bookkeeper or accountant, which we fill that space. You have your CFO, which we do have fractional CFO services. You have your tax preparer. Now, while I understand and appreciate tax, I do not want to prepare tax returns. So <laughs> I partner with a tax firm. We don't fill that role, but we have referral streams for that. Um, So those are the roles that we tend to fill is that accountant, bookkeeper and all the things included with that. And then the CFO hat or helping you develop the CFO hat. Like I have a membership on the website where that's kind of like my group coaching program. If you're not in a position to outsource the fractional CFO, this membership helps law firm owners to evolve their own CFO hat. Gotcha. And can you let's talk a little bit about like, you know, what got you to the point of really going that route? Because that is from talking to so many different, you know, CPAs and so many fractional CFOs. One of the things that I find, and this may be my, you know, my erroneous hypothesis or my perspective on it, is talking to a lot of them. I realize that many of them don't understand how to actually run the business of a CFO firm or a CPA firm. It's like they know the technical. So to even have the, you know, I guess you would say the instinct to to realize like, hey, we can evolve our business model to still solve CFO type problems with a kind of a group approach. Like what was it that really sparked your mind to say, hey, maybe we should adapt our business model for those type of clients so they would have a solution if they're not ready to hire us individually, they can do the group. Like what sparked that for you? It's like 
one of those do as I say, not as I do, right? Like <laughs> we are our own worst hypocrite. Like I will put my taxes off for so long. Like I'm making sure everybody else's stuff is getting done, but my stuff, forget about it. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> so crazy. Um, and like, okay, so here's the thing. I, I was talking to somebody this morning, in fact, and they were like, oh my God, I talked to so many CFOs and like, you actually have a personality that doesn't usually come hand in hand. Like, I feel like we're this unicorn because think about it. You're tax guy. Like you think about, you know, this person in a white button up collared tie, like no man and tax bills and all the bad news. Right. You don't think of this like animated fun, have a whole conversation and be my friend type of person. Um, so I think we have that going for us. But what got me into the one-to-many position in my business is I came here for impact, mainly. That was my main goal. And I know that I can't make as big of an impact in a one-on-one setting as I can mastering the one-to-many setting. So when I got here, like when I first started, I actually included an hour of my time every single month for all of my monthly clients. And that was my way of building credibility for myself so that I knew I had the potential and I took the time to be a student of my clients before I became a teacher of my clients. Um, And so I accumulated all of this knowledge and understanding of how to create impact in law firm owners, businesses and lives And once I got enough clientele built up, my services evolved to where they're at now, where I can, I easily transitioned from a one-on-one to a one-to-many delivery. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, how did that transition go for me? Is it just you that does that, that, I guess that, that leads kind of those group sessions or are there other people on your team that are involved? Yeah. So right now it's just me. I have my support team that understands kind of the to do's behind it and the workflows behind it. But I'm the face. I'm the instructor um, right now. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Now, one of the things that I'm also curious about is, you know, because, you know, we work in an area where I said finance is a technical area. People understand it for that aspect. But I think what people don't always get the glimpse of is that, we're building a business just like we're advising and helping other people build their business. So what has that side been like for you of evolving your business model and expanding your team and getting processes and procedures in place? Like what has that journey been like for you? Uh, It's definitely been a journey. And I think that being in the position that I'm in, it's everything I learn is something that I can share with my clients. Because when it comes to this side of it, we're all in this together. Like we're, we're all figuring this out together, right? Like we're sharing back and forth value of how to be a business owner. Because I could do money all day, right? But there's like five other hats that I have to figure out. Um, and so it's had to be intentional. I have had to intentionally carve out time with a specific thing to focus on, be it marketing, be it operations, be it my team. I just started reading the book Traction, um, which is really impressive and awesome. And I have super high hopes for it. Um, But it takes, like I said, it takes intention because I think one of the things about entrepreneurship is there are so many opportunities to be drug in a direction not of your choosing. And so to do something 
in the direction of your choosing takes a massive amount of intentionality that we really have to prioritize. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, with your, your, I guess, expansion and growth, have you gone with a remote model or is your team local to where you are? So we started remote, which was really handy come COVID. Um, You know, we're kind of just coasting here and and COVID hits and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, we have to learn how to work remote. And we're all like, hey, we've been here. It's fun. Come on, let's do this, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's I mean, we started out remote and I I honestly think that's one of the silver linings um, from COVID is that it's really opened up people's minds to the possibilities, which also saves in their wallet. Right. Like let go of rent utilities, (laughs) you know, so uh, it's changing all the ratios and the mindsets. I love it. Also, it's one of those interesting things about like working remote that I, I that I think it forced me to become a better, more proactive leader uh, of working in a remote environment. And I'm curious, like how that like, you know, you had a life of probably working in person before starting your firm. Like when you compare the two, like how much has it changed you or has has the remote working experience changed you as a leader or as a professional at all? Uh, I definitely think it has, you know, a remote environment for any business. And we saw this, you know, as we made this transition um, during COVID, as businesses everywhere made this transition, there was a whole new set of hurdles. The main one being team management and creating a virtual culture and making sure that you have an environment and you're nurturing your team in a very humanistic way and not a computer, you know, Internet virtual way. And so I think one of the hurdles that we've all challenged, we've all been challenged with is, you know, how to create connections with our team across the team, but how to also do it efficiently and not just be stuck in Zoom meetings all day. So, you know, I was no exception. The biggest, the hardest thing to leave my physical office when I made the transition was my team. It was my people. Um, And so I was super excited when I finally got a team, but then I found myself trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together of like, how do I create that culture, that environment, that team camaraderie in a virtual setting? So it's been a matter of trial and error, test it and see how it works. And it's something that we revisit all the time because three people is different from nine people (laughs) and you have to adjust. So it's been an interesting journey and it's uh, it's not over. We'll keep going. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, if people are very interested in, you know, finding out more about you, your firm, what you guys do, where can they find you online? Yeah. So our website is like the one stop. Find us everywhere we are. Yourcoresolution.com. Um, up in the right hand corner, it's got the LinkedIn, the Facebook, the Instagram. I love our Instagram. It's so pretty. <laughs> I don't think it converts very well, but it's really pretty. And that's what matters, right? <laughs> you know, that's one of those very interesting things about, you know, when you think about, you know, being in business and figuring out stuff like that. And to where it's like you have those parts of your business where it's like you kind of do fall in love with it. where you, you probably don't know how like productive it is, but it's like it looks really good. <laughs> yeah, it's not highest and best use of my time and resources, but I love scrolling through my own Instagram. <laughs> whatever, whatever tingles the heart, right? 
I love it. I love it. Well, before we wrap up, one question that I love asking every guest that comes on is, you know, when you think about where you've been, you think about where you are in your journey, you know, what's two lessons that you would share with other law firms? And it could be something that you've already shared that you want to reiterate, or it could be something new. Um, I think that humility is one of the greatest characteristics you can have owning your own business. A lot of times I think we fall into this mindset of we should know a lot or know it all. Um, and I think the, the key is really surrounding yourself with people and seeking out people who know more than you. Um, so I think it's quite the opposite. I think there's a mindset shift to be had there. Um, and then I would also say just know that you're always a student of, of the business. Everything is always changing life. Change is the essence of life. We can't get stuck. We can't get complacent. We always have to keep our minds open. You know, when, when you're too quick to turn your shoulder, take a look in the mirror because you're, you're forming a mindset that's really going to make you stuck. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the show today. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. You just checked out the Law and Finance Show, where we bring you great, insightful interviews that talk about the business and the financial side of managing a law firm. So subscribe to the show and check out more of the great interviews.